We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Jess, are you ready for some rapid fire? I am. Today is, uh, I don't get to do mailbags very often, but they're, they're, they're usually my favorite because we get all the fan questions and then we get to go into rapid fire questions. So we cover all the topics in one day. A wide spectrum. That's right. And of course, if you still have more questions, we can work them into rapid fire as well. Let's start with a little Marty Biagi. How about that? He was talking about uh, after practice the other day, he was asked about the you know the whole using starters on special teams, and uh, you know what? I'm not seeing it. Hang on, just a second. Let me make sure what I'm looking for here. Oh, I do. I have it. Okay. I thought it was titled something different, but it's exactly what uh, what it's supposed to be titled so here we go he was asked about starters playing on special teams and you know kind of uh along those lines i love the head coach here <laughs> this is very exciting so um it's great coach freeman you know being the fact that he comes into my office literally on a day-to-day basis is very exciting and uh having open open door policies with him to be able to come in and say coach here's where i'm thinking this is you know, and him, him give me even just a quick yes or no as opposed to a false promise where you're banking on a kid, banking on a kid, and then right the week of the game, like, oh, we can't use him, that kind of thing. I, the open line of communication has been awesome, but very excited for the uh, the player roster that's here. I'll leave with that. And he followed that up. He was asked about how Prince Kali and Jordan Botello are able to be so disruptive on special teams. I think it kind of plays into this. The will and the mindset that uh, they want to make a game-changing play and not be hesitant. And when you know from a head coach standpoint that we never want to get a penalty, we never want to rough the punter, we never want to rough the kicker, but we also want to be thinking, attacking, and aggressive mindset. And to know that you have a head coach that, hey, we're going to coach it up and love you up if it's done wrong, but like this is the mindset I, I want from the head coach down. It, you know, I think it allows those guys that have that kind of edge, that chip on the shoulder, hey, I, I can do this, I want to go make this play, they can take a deep breath before the ball's even snapped to know, hey, I can go do this. So, Jesse, listening to both those, the things that stand out is 
the focus on special teams essentially comes from the top down. It's it's about the importance the head coach places on it. What do you think? Yeah, and this is kind of something that I've been advocating for, and I think even mentioned yesterday on the show is, you know, special teams is is a top down approach. It, it doesn't matter. You can't be effective in the special teams unless your head coach wants to be effective in the special teams. And it's clear and obvious that Marcus Freeman has emphasized the importance of special teams um, and the impact that it can have on the game. And then when you get guys like Jordan Botello, uh, Prince Kali, et cetera, to buy into that kind of concept, you're going to see more impactful plays made on special teams. And honestly, that's how guys get their shots. I mean, it's no surprise that Jordan Botello is kind of, you know, in line here, Prince Kali's in line um, and saw, you know, reps in the bowl game at the end of the season, both getting some starting reps with some guys kind of being out um, and not even guys being out in Prince Kali's situation. He just got the opportunity to play more. So I think it's terrific. Um, and I, again, I, I don't think it's necessarily we, we should be concerned about, you know, the departure of the old special teams coach and Biagi stepping in because I think it's just going to pick up where it's left off. And, and we're in, Really what it's going to come down to is Biagi having the dedication uh, to be good at special teams. But, I mean, when he, when he talks about Marcus Freeman constantly, you know, being coming by and, you know, you know speaking with him and, and constant communications, um, I, I just think it shows that, that this season should be no different than last season in terms of, you know, Notre Dame making impactful plays on special teams. Yeah, exactly. I mean, how can – how are Prince Colley and Jordan Botello able to make, you know, big plays on special teams? Their head coach lets them play special teams. <laughs> you know, it essentially comes down to that. And uh, I, I think you're exactly right. I, I think that we're going to see a continuance of what we just saw under Brian Mason with Marty Biaggi. And we touched on it a little bit yesterday, going back to, uh, it was, you know, in the soundbite, I think that we played yesterday, he had success as a special teams coach, blocking kicks at North Texas because his coach at North Texas placed a priority on special teams and let him use starters. And that's why he started off that first soundbite saying, I love my head coach because the head coach is going to let him have, you know, top frontline guys on special teams. So, And I mean, I that's how it should be. Your starters yeah. should be the guys until some of the younger uh, other guys prove in practice that they could be just as impactful as the starters. Like, Starting, you know, when I, as I've worked up the ranks, you know, in, in my football career, I was fortunate enough to play, you know, freshman, I, as a freshman, I got called up to varsity um, and I had the opportunity to play special teams immediately. And I knew that that's where my impact was going to be and the impression that I was going to make. And again, that's how these spots end up getting filled is you have guys like starters who are going to be in there. But then you have up and coming guys who get that opportunity to prove that they can be impactful too. So I think it's very exciting. And I'm, I'm, I've said before, and I, and this might be an exaggeration, but I mean, special teams is a third of the game. And it, I know that it, it's, again, that that's probably a stretch. It's more probably like 20% of the game. But still, those are, those are, that's still a chunk. That's still right. in time where you can make big plays happen, flip the field, you know, gain momentum, whatever it might be. Yeah, that's exactly right. Like Stimey said, first play the game is a kickoff. Put your starters in the game. And yeah, I think we're going to. I think we're going to see guys like Chris Tyree back there still. Uh, tomorrow is Brian and his wife Angela's anniversary. And I saw Michael, you know, talking about that. And I, and I think that that's what 
um, the We Are Not Marshall response. We need to call Sean <laughs> Styers up to the show. Get on your shuttle. You're getting called up to the show, Bull Durham style. Again, I'm going to be gone tomorrow. I'm out of town, so I'm not going to be here to host a show. I'm off tomorrow myself. That's why we don't have a show tomorrow night and why we're doing the mailback show <laughs> tonight. So, uh, yeah, so I don't think that there is going to be a show tomorrow if Brian is taking off for his anniversary, which I think he is, or at least I know he said there would not be an evening show because of the anniversary. So he might still be doing an afternoon show. I don't know. It's just, it's, it's, it's just too much for one man to keep track of is what it is. <laughs> We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So Jesse, after Chris Tyree had a bit of an up and down day at practice Saturday, do you still buy him or sell him? In this move to wide receiver, I'm still 100% by it's, you know, practice. What was it? Five or six of the spring. A guy that probably hasn't taken many wide receiver snaps. I mean, sure, he probably got worked in here and there, maybe some drills over the last few seasons. But to be a full on wide receiver taking, you know, working with the position group, taking snaps, it takes time. It's an adjustment. No one can just naturally, you know, translate over to a new position. So you know, he's got all spring. He's got all next fall camp if that's where they decide that they're going to keep him permanently. So I'm still um, all in on Chris Tyree playing wide receiver. It's going to take a little bit of time, but I'm I'm more than happy to wait. I am as well. And, I, you know, obviously they're using him as a slot, which you tend to think of slot guys as smaller guys along the lines of, of Chris Tyree, you know, in that 5'8", five, 5'9", five, 5'10", range, whatever it happens to be, you know, he had some drops. Yeah. It, you know, again, it's like you said, it's practice six. There were some overthrows by Sam Hartman. And I started thinking about it with a guy Tyree's size. Now, again, traditional slot receiver type size. But most of the rest of the receivers on this squad, they're, they're like six foot and above. You yeah. know, like Deion Colsey is almost six foot five. And you've got Braylon James at six foot two. And, you know, Tobias Merriweather is six foot four. You know, so it's like. 
I think, you know, like you look at some of those overthrows that Sam Hartman had, I think it's, you know, it's like just a different release point. Yeah. Getting used to throwing to someone who's a good six inches. Well, it's kind of at that level. It's almost a downward trajectory. Exactly. Exactly. It's just different. I think he's got to get used to that when he's throwing number two out there. I think that that's the biggest thing. And, and again, that's why you have spring. So you can, you can go through some of that stuff when it doesn't matter. Right. Right. No one else will see it. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. yeah. So I, I'm I'm with you. Complete buy for me. A great athlete, and I think we're going to see good things out of him. Fill in the blank. It's blank that Irish safety DJ Brown said today that freshman early enrollee safety Ben Minnick has three interceptions so far this spring. It's very promising uh, that DJ Brown had those comments to say because I mean we already know about kind of the. The secondary is a stacked position group. And then when you talk about, you know, at least for me, I don't know too much about Ben. And I haven't heard the name too much. But when you hear a guy, but that's that's kind of my point. When when you all of a sudden hear about a guy that you haven't really heard of is making interceptions and already stacked position group, I just think it shows the overall depth um, and the promise that this entire secondary has. Because, again, like a defensive line unit, it's never a bad thing when you have kind of uh, a rotation in the secondary, especially when you're rotating between nickel and dime packages, your base defense, like the more cover guys you can have, especially to, in my opinion, in, you know, today's offense, you know, when you go up against like the North Carolinas and the USC's, you need guys who can cover. And so I, I, I find it very promising. I do as well. And he may be a little bit more under the radar, even as a four-star guy coming in, but Adon Schuler. I think is the guy that, you know, maybe we hyped a little bit more, but he's going through the the shoulder, the AC joint recovery process right now. But um, I tell you what, you know, like I, I think the, I think the first thing maybe a lot of people thought of when they saw three interceptions by this freshman in camp, you know, going back to Kyle Hamilton in fall camp a few years back. <laughs> yeah. He was a freshman and, you know, I don't think, we're all expecting that from Ben Minnick this year, but hey, who expected what we got from Benjamin Morrison last year? So who knows? I mean, keep making plays and you're going to find your way onto the field. That's that's really <laughs> the, the the long and the short of it, right? You make plays, you're going to find your way out there at some point. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, you can't be <laughs> left off the field when you keep making plays. So after seeing UConn, Jess, we talked about San Diego State and UConn in the national championship game. They won their fifth national championship last night. Do you buy or sell the Huskies as a blue blood program? I do buy them as a blue blood blue blood program. I mean, look at your top blue bloods all time. You have uh, UCLA with 11 championships at the top. You got Kentucky with eight championships in second. You got North Carolina at six championships, Duke at five championships, IU at five championships, um, and now UConn at five championships, and Kansas at four championships. And, you know, all those other schools that I mentioned outside of UConn are known as blue blood programs, you know. And I think what's an interesting stat about UConn is they've been to five national championships and never lost. They've won all five national championships that they've been to. So another thing that I looked at, though, um, is, yes – you know, UConn has the five national championships, um, but there are schools like Duke, uh, Kansas, North Carolina, that even though that they've won five or five or six, they've also been 
to like six others that they've lost. So, you know, I, I kind of weighed that too, because, you know, national championship appearances, right. UConn has only made five and they've won all five, but you got schools like Kansas, Duke, North Carolina that have been to, you know, 10, 11, 12 kind of appearances overall. So do you factor that in as well? Sure. But when we're talking about, you still got to do it. You still got to win them. At the end of the day, it's about winning the championship. And so, you know, when you talk about UConn having five now and being in the top five of most national championships, I think you have to consider them as a blue blood. And People, they have all five in the last 25 years. I mean, that's one every And that's years that's why it's that's why it's a sell for me because you you obviously have a different definition of blue blood than I have. <laughs> and but but it's not just you. I think a lot of people like what exactly a blue blood is is open to interpretation, right? Like and again, this is a sell for me because if you're going to call it a blue blood team, it's not just about winning a few national championships recently. It's not about recency bias. It's about tradition, excellence, sustained success going back over multiple generations because like the actual term blue blood as it pertains to royalty there's a connotation of direct link to royalty if you are a blue blood you know like to me Clemson is not a football blue blood they've had some championships the last few years I know they had one in the 80s as well but there's a lot of lean years in between you're not a blue blood just because you win some recent championships. I see where you're going with this. You're saying you you more so define blue blood as continued generational success, like generational 50, 60 years of prominency within the sport. Yes, like USC and, and football could be considered a blue blood potentially. Yes. And so would Notre Dame. Notre Dame would be in there. USC would be in there. Alabama would be in there. I, I would still consider Texas in there. You know, even though they're, you know, they've fallen off here a little bit lately. They, you know, they've obviously got a national championship more recently than Notre Dame. And I mean, like, look at look at Kansas, for example. James Naismith invented basketball. He was the Jayhawks' first coach. He coached Fog Allen, whom, you know, the arena they play in right now is named for Fog Allen. Fog Allen coached Dean Smith at Kansas. Smith coached Larry Brown who led Kansas to the 1988 championship. He also coached Roy Williams, who of course coached at both Kansas and North Carolina. And who, who was on Larry Brown's staff in 1988? Bill Self. And oh, by the way, Fog Allen also coached Adolph Rupp, the legendary Kentucky coach who that arena is named after. There's no truer blue blood than Kansas, like when you follow that lineage right there. But North Carolina, Kentucky, they're right there intertwined with that. Duke, of course, is because, again, their excellence goes back over generations. It's not just recent. And We Are Not Marshall asks about UCLA. I do still consider UCLA a blue blood. Again, even though they they don't have recent national championships, you know, you've got to go back, what was that, 90, was it 94, 95, they won their last championship uh, with 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 Herrick and Tyus Edney and all those guys it was in that range anyway mid-90s they won their last but they've been to final fours recently you know they're, they're they obviously are not nearly as dominant as they were in that 60s and 70s with John Wooden but I include them thank you we are not Marshall I thought it was 95 and it was 95 <laughs> but yeah so I still do include them you know like the one for me that is is really teetering and falling off. And I've talked about this before. I don't think on this show 
is Indiana. You know, like, do you can do you still consider Indiana on that on that same you know in that same breath? I tend to say no right now because they have fallen you know much farther off than than like a a UCLA. And again, we're not just talking about recent national championships. We're talking about success over time. You know, you can now has Notre Dame won national championships? No, but they've been to the college football playoff twice. They've also lost in another national championship game. It's not just about winning national championships. It's about prolonged success in terms of blue blood. That's, that's my definition. And again, like I know that it, you know, your definitions, your mileage may vary. UConn's had a lot of success in the last 25 years. To me, like, talk to me in another 25 to 50. <laughs> and then we'll be having that conversation. <laughs> yeah, I think Siggy yeah, just made Siggy a, great, a great, point. great point. It's new money. That's right. They're nouveau riche is what they are. <laughs> That's actually a really good way of putting it. I really like that. Yeah. Yeah, I concur. Yeah, like when, when Bob Knight was still there, Indiana was was definitely I, you would consider a blue blood pro, but I mean you got to go back, you know, to '87. Obviously, since their na- last national championship. Again, I know if you want to include Notre Dame in here, but like Notre Dame football comparative to Indiana basketball, like what a successful season is. Notre Dame has had a lot more success over the last, you know, 15 to 20 years than Indiana basketball has had over that same period of time and you know Notre Dame football is still Notre Dame football I don't think you're going to leave them out of a blue blood conversation when you're talking football Michigan you know whether you like them or not you probably have Mm -hmm. to include them right (laughs) unfortunately yeah I like what Siggy said you know the the new the new the new money yeah I mean they're they've had a lot of recent success but they're their true success begins really what 24 years ago is when it right. started. Yep. The NCAA is considering expanding the tournament. UConn head coach, new national champion head coach, Dan Hurley, is among those who do not want expansion. Do you buy or sell expansion for the NCAA tournament, Jess? I sell expansion. You already get 68 teams, you know, with the the two play-in games. Um, and then you get down to the field of 64. I just think that's that's already a lot. And we already see a lot of disparity um, and a lot of upsets, especially, you know, within the last five to 10 years, more so than in the past. But I just think that, yeah, it, it should be an honor and a, you know, something that's hard and worked for. And I don't think you should expand and just let more teams in. It's already a big pool. I like the format. Like I, I, at that rate, like I don't know how what way you would do it. You'd have to break it up out of different, you know, four different regions. I think unless you strictly had more play-in games. Um, I like the format. I like the structure. Again, I think you should be rewarded for your regular season efforts, your conference championship winners, um, etc. But I'm just a sell. I, I don't think that it should expand. There's already enough teams, in my opinion. Here's here's the only scenario that I would favor expansion. This is this is. Like my 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 system that I've been trumpeting the last few years. There are seven double digit seeds in each region. So, you know, you've got 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, seven double digit seeds in each region. If you made each double digit seed 
play a play-in game, you would add 28 teams, which is 92 total. You get to, Oof. you know, like you play those double-digit seeded games on Tuesday and Wednesday. So you've got full days of basketball, Tuesday and Wednesday with those double-digit seed games. And then, you know, the rest of your tournament begins as usual Thursday and Friday. That would be the only scenario where I would want to see expansion. Make all the double-digit seeds basically play a play-in game. And as much as possible, especially when you get to those, you know, 10, 11, 12, that range right there, as much as possible, have them where they are power five conferences against mid-majors. Mix it up as much as possible in that, in those, like those opening rounds in those play-in games. That's, that's the only way that I would want to see it is if you did it that way. I hear you. All right. Siggy says he actually likes that. Thank you, Siggy. I heard a point for today. <laughs> you and Siggy are on the same page today. I guess so. You guys are speaking so. a different language on a different wavelength. Yeah. Um, Scott wants to know if Notre Dame women's basketball can win it all next year. If so, what needs to improve the most? Let me give my uh, okay. Go ahead. Take go ahead. here first because I know you. I mean, you were at every women's game this year, so you'll sure. you'll give a strong answer here from my limited women's basketball games this season i think that the number one priority would be for me at least is i need to find a way to handle defensive pressure i think they struggle a lot with teams that start pressing them teams that get a little bit more physical i think it starts to fluster them a little bit and i know you know without olivia miles it became hard um in their sweet 16 matchup but I, it's just something I think I've kind of noticed over over the last couple of seasons is towards the end of games, especially third and fourth quarter, when teams kind of start, you know, pressing to make up the difference, putting a little pressure on them defensively, Notre Dame kind of struggles with it. So for me, that is something that I would take a look at. Yeah, I think that that does probably need to improve. Even with Olivia Miles, there were times where they had problems with it, but they were still – over the last two years, they have grown so much in that area. And I think with another year of experience, getting Olivia Miles back, adding a player, a great ball handler like Hannah Hidalgo, the you know the point guard from New Jersey who was the McDonald's All-American game MVP, that's going to help that. So I, I think that that's going to improve quite a bit. They were already one of the best offensive teams in the ACC. They were one of the best defensive teams in the ACC, good rebounding team. Continue to rebound, I think, is going to be a big thing and, and continue the defense. I think that that is what is really going to kind of drive them forward next year is improving the defense. And, you know, like I think some of the stuff you're talking about, again, with the press, having Olivia Miles back next year, plus adding Hidalgo, that's that's going to improve. You know, like I, I know they're going to do like a summer European tour and stuff like that. Who knows what Miles' availability is going to be. Hopefully she's able to get back. But they do need to add another post player. That's going to be big for them. Um, but to answer your question, like like to me, ESPN today released its, you know, one of its way too early, you know, preseason <laughs> rankings for next I year. I love they, that. That's such an easy article for them because it's never I right. I know. And, you know, of course, it's going to get people stirred up all over the place. Like, 
They put Notre Dame 10. Virginia Tech was not in there. And people are like, oh, how do you how do you leave Virginia Tech out? They just went to the final four. Well, they're also going to lose their two-time ACC player of the year, Elizabeth Kitley. They're big. <laughs> like literally the, the walking double-double. Yeah, the, the walking double-double, who was the two-time ACC player of the year, is gone now. And their whole offense, everything they do revolves around her. That's why they're not in the top 10 preseason <laughs> next year. But I think you pencil Notre Dame. Like I, I start off with them as a final four team and work from there. I think that that, like anything short of that would be a letdown for, for what they're going to have coming back. And, wow. and big expectations and, next season. I think so. I think so. And they're in Cleveland as well. So get ready for it. <laughs> I was telling some people that the other day. I was like, you know, the women's final four is going to be in Cleveland next year. <laughs> That's right. Bring the party is what it's going to be. By the way, I see these TV shows here and we'll, we'll get to that here in a minute. <laughs> um, fill in the blank. It's blank that Jim Nance called his last final four and national championship game this past weekend. It's bittersweet. You know, everyone knows Jim Nance and the variety of football, golf, basketball, like the man is everywhere. And it's he's just so iconic. Like you could you could be sitting in any room um, and, and hear his voice come on and not be looking at the TV. Or maybe if you're listening to the radio, you know, whatever it might be. Hello, um, friends. And you, you will know that you're listening to Jim Nance. So it's bittersweet. I'm going to miss it. Um, but you know, don't get me wrong. I don't think next season I'm going to be sitting there and being like, dang, I wish Jim Nance was back. You know, it's not that serious, <laughs> right? But it's still bittersweet. Like it, it's, it's, it's sad to see him go. That's right. I mean, you know, it, the world it, moves on, unfortunately. And that's what I was going to say. Time marches on, you know, like it, these, these jobs all at some point, everybody becomes expendable, you know, like Brent Musburger. You know, like go go down through the list. John Madden obviously wasn't a play-by-play guy. I was gonna say John you know, Madden was like, up there for me. Yeah, that's right. And you know, there there have been a lot of great ones in these booths over the years, and and time marches on. So we'll miss him, but the tournament will roll around next year. Ian Eagle will be calling the big games, and and it's gonna be just as exciting. But uh, he, you know, well, we'll miss him with Raft. You know, I, I think that that was a. a a pretty good booth with uh, with him and, and Bill Raftery. Bill Simmons of the Ringer says Ray Allen's shot to give Miami the 2013 NBA Finals win over San Antonio is the most famous shot in NBA history. So we're going to go through here. We're going to do NBA, men's college basketball, women's college basketball. What do you think is the most famous shot in NBA history? Ooh, to me... Mm, 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 mm. I think it's got to be the the one I think of is I do think of the Ray Allen one like that's up there. And if I'm playing devil's advocate, I would go with uh, Kyrie Irving versus uh, the, the Warriors. It ended, you know, that that gave the Warrior or sorry, Cleveland their championship ended Golden State's 52 year uh, or sorry. Yeah, it ended their 52 year championship drought, you know, for Cleveland. Um, and yeah, it, it, even though that, you know, LeBron was kind of the star of the game, Kyrie sealed the deal with that three, um, didn't allow the series to go to seven and they won the championship. So that's the one I think of more recently. I think the Ray Allen shot is more iconic. I think it's funny that both those shots occurred, you know, to aid LeBron James in winning a championship. That's the common denominator. 
um, in both situations. So that's that's what I think of at the NBA level. At the college level, hold on, I, hold on. We're going we're going one at a time. We're going one at a time. <laughs> NBA. My counter to that is both of yours are fairly recent. There, young grasshopper Stymie, who is a basketball aficionado, says Reggie Miller stolen ball three versus Knicks. That was a good one. Um, but this is the one, this is the answer that Michael Campbell has. I assume that he's talking about game six, 1998. Like how is there a more iconic shot than Michael Jordan hitting the shot to win the NBA finals in his last game in a Chicago bulls uniform? Like literally it was on the cover of sports illustrated. It is iconic. It was, you know, the, what was then known as the flu game, you know, and it became, uh, later known, I guess, is the food poisoning game, you know, the pizza game or whatever. <laughs> and Jordan over Jordan over uh, the uh, shot or a comment came in at the same time. Jordan over Elo prior to that pretty big one as well, you know, like. But I would still go game six, 1998 Jordan against the Utah Jazz. That would be mine. You know, I would agree, but I was like two years old at the time. Maybe that's right. So that's right. <laughs> Okay, okay, on to so the college, college level. College. I Men's think we're going to be pretty similar on both of these. So I'll go first. Uh, men's college basketball, I think of Mario Chalmers to hit the three for Kansas to win Ooh, the national championship. Also um, on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Yep. Yeah, that's that's got to be the one for me. Um, I remember staying up and watching that game, actually. Um, you know, it looked like Kansas was dead in the water, and they, they yeah. came back and hit that three, all because of Mario Chalmers. So – that has yep. got to be the one for me for men's college basketball. Interesting. See, well, you know, and again, like you're you're much younger than me. I've got to go. I don't think you were on the show. I think it was just Vince and I when we talked about the Grant Hill to Christian Leitner, Kentucky versus Duke. I was shot. I was wondering if you would do the Chris or yeah the Leitner shot. Yeah. Where he like, inbounded right around, kind of to the free throw line, turn around and hit the shot. Dribble, right? pivot, shoot. Yeah, at the buzzer. What's more important in that situation, the pass or the shot? Well, you can't hit the shot if you don't have the pass, right? That's what I mean. The pass has got to be on the money. I think it's 50-50. And it was. And, uh, yeah, like like I I don't know how you place one over the other because it was a a total miracle that it happened. I mean, Joe brings up another good one. Chris Jenkins getting the shot for, uh, for Villanova to win the national championship. Jordan. Uh, Michael says over Georgetown for the championship. I still don't, I, I don't think of that one as, you know, and again, I am not a Duke fan by any stretch of the imagination. And like, to me, in terms of, cause I was obviously watching that, that 2008 Chalmers game as well. And like, to me, that one means more to me, but I, I think that when you think of like iconic, that most college basketball fans, especially over the age of probably, you know, like Vince's 40 and barely remembers it. So, you know, like if you're, <laughs> if you're over the age of 40, you know, like maybe 45 and over, which is still a pretty big part of the population. I think that you would go with that one. And All right. yeah, Michael says he hates it because he's a diehard Kobe <laughs> Bryant fan forever. And Siggy says the pass is more important, but you still got to hit the shot. And that was like, again, like he didn't even have time to look at the basket. It was catch, dribble, pivot, shoot. You know, boom, boom, boom. And it, it's it's still just an amazing shot anytime you see it. Okay. 
So those are our men's basketball. How about women's basketball? I mean, it's it's a no brainer. I think we're for all going to be on the same page on this, right? <laughs> it's it's got to be the uh, Arike Ugu Bawale. There you go. Shot to win the national championship, right? Like we all got to agree on that one. If we can all come to the one big consensus, yeah, there it is. Oh, but someone says Morgan Williams to end UConn's win there streak. You go. It's not a bad one. Uh, you know, it's it's hard because, you know, like, you think of that one. And the, the problem, I think, with the women's game is, like, the dominance of UConn and the dominance of Tennessee. Like, they won so many championships in games that, that many times were not that competitive. Right. And especially in a social media era, like Arike's shot, it, it, it really, I think you can make the argument that, you know, granted, Caitlin Clark is a great player and a lot of people were tuning in. We'll talk about that here in a second. We'll, we'll go ahead and jump to it right now. I'm just going to say Arike Agunbowale. Michael brings up a good point, too. It was the Final Four and the championship, two of them. Again, Sports Illustrated, ice twice the sports illustrated <laughs> cover and that's what it said and that's that's exactly right like if she hadn't hit the national championship shot the final four shot would be the one people are talking about but because she hit the, the, the freaking game winner i mean she ended up on dancing with the stars and whether you, <laughs> whether you like dancing with the stars or not you're talking about a women's college basketball player crossing over into pop culture like that on national and that doesn't TV. happen unless she hits those two shots. That's right. That's right. So I don't know how it can be anything other than that. You know who might have an alternate idea, but probably won't, you know, whether she offers one or not is Muffet McGraw and Muffet's going to be on the show on Thursday. So we can ask her about that. So if you have any questions for Muffet, you can hit us up with those as well. But Muffet is going to be on Thursday's show. We're going to talk to her so we can, we can, we can ask her, I, I, again, probably going to be a little bit biased, but I'll be I'll be curious to see if she has anything else that she would offer other than Arike's shot. So fill in the blank. Speaking of women's basketball, that LSU-Iowa Women's National Championship game drew a record 9.9 million viewers, and that's blank. That's phenomenal uh, for the women's game, especially because, you know, you and I talked about this over the weekend and uh, when I brought it up is I find the game, the women's game to be more enjoyable in the technical aspects. I think women uh, play a more sound game. They actually get into more offensive sets um, and they're better shooters. Like you don't see um, women miss as many wide open jumpers as the men do in the college level. And I just think it's it's finally good to see the women's game get the recognition and support that they deserve because it's not like they're inferior to the men's game. They, they play, you know, quality games. And I think it also helps that we didn't have, you know, you UConn or Tennessee or a lot of those women's blue blood programs in the national championship this year, because it wasn't a blowout. There was a lot of meaningful close games that were coming down to it. And it was really good for the sport. And it, it continues to play off my hypothesis of the transfer portal. I think that this is largely to do yeah. college sports across, no matter what sport it is, we're seeing that gap 
shrink between the top teams, the mid-level teams, and the bottom teams because the transfer portal, the talent is able to be dispersed more evenly across the game. And I think we saw that with how the women's game ended this year. I agree. I mean, let, just just look at Angel Reese. You know, she's out of the transfer portal, started off at Maryland. And, you know, that's 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 how they were able to turn that around in a short amount of time, in just two years, and win a championship. And as Joe says, at, at one point the game did have 12.6. The 12.6 million was the peak, and that was across all platforms, ABC, ESPN2, as well as the streaming platforms. The average was 9.9 that they put out there. So everything that you just said, and like when you compare it to some viewerships of some other recent sporting events, more people watch that game than watch the Notre Dame-USC football game in November. Uh, More people watch that than either the Orange, Sugar, or Cotton Bowl, uh, as well as more people watch that than the LSU Alabama football game and the Ohio State Penn State football game. So that's that's just nuts. That, that, you know, a, a lot of people. Now it helped that it was on ABC as opposed to ESPN. And I think this is the first time they've had the championship game on ABC. They might have done it last year, but these, you know, you know, and everyone complained the about the three thirty start time, but I feel like that also had a factor. I loved it. Like, what did you have to do in the middle of your afternoon? I think it was prime kind of. TV real estate um, in terms of getting people to, to tune in. Right. I, yeah, I agree. So it's pretty cool to see, you know, the, uh, the way the game is, is really just kind of continued to take off. I wanted to finish up. Actually, we're not going to finish up with this one. I've got, I'm going to slide this. <laughs> You've one been in waiting for first. this one. That's right. Josh, as a TV aficionado, where do you rank these shows? The Office, Seinfeld, Parks and Rec, and Cheers. And number one for me is not hard at all. It is Seinfeld at the top of the list. I still watch Seinfeld. You know, I've got the entire DVD collection. I don't watch the DVDs as much because it's on TV so much. But it's like, I'll flip through. If I see Seinfeld on, I'll go, okay, what's the episode? And if I don't have time to watch it, but if it's like the marine biologist, for example, which I just recorded recently, you know, I'll just hit record and, uh, you know, go watch it again. And it's like I still quote Seinfeld, you know, like it's been off the air for, I think, going on 25 years, maybe at 25 years right now. But it is still on all the time. So anyway, Seinfeld's at the top. The Office, you and I used to watch that together sometimes. Parks and Rec and Cheers. That's an interesting one. Have you ever even seen Cheers, Jesse? I don't think so. Yeah, Parks and Rec. That was a for for I think like seasons two through like the second to the last season really peaked. The first season it, it took a while to get going. The last season I, I felt like it kind of fell off a little bit, but at its peak, it was really good. It, the, like those are such different shows in different eras. I, I almost kind of put them in a tie. So I would go Seinfeld office and I'll put Parks and Rec and Cheers on the same line. That's cheating a little bit. <laughs> That's funny. Well, I was going to I was going to go with um, Seinfeld and um, office as kind of one, two. But I, I just think of the legacy and the, you know, how long Seinfeld went for. I'm, I'd go Seinfeld 1A, office 1B, uh, Park Rex and then Cheers. And then Cheers is just down there because I just never really watched it. So <laughs> I, I, don't take offense yeah. to that. Anyone. No, that's all right. That was that. Cheers was was still a good show. We used to watch that 
back in the old college days. Uh, Joe says Parks and Rec is overrated. I, you know, I just, I, I don't know. A, a lot of the same kind of humor that you had in the office, just a little bit, a little bit different. Jeff, the old, uh, the old normie. It's a dog eat dog world, and I'm wearing milk bone underwear, Sammy. <laughs> Good stuff. All right, so now our last topic of the night. One shining moment, of course, is like the song at the end of, uh, you know, at the end of every national championship game, you get one shining moment, the highlights, the montage, and all the, the, the great stuff. Did you know that the guy who wrote the song, he wrote it in, in 20 minutes after he was rejected by what he says is the most beautiful waitress on the planet while he was watching the Boston Celtics and Larry Bird on TV. Have you ever heard this story before? <laughs> I have not uh, heard this story before. Do you, do you like, do you stay up? Do you watch the one shining moment at the end of the game? Like where, <laughs> it's where actually... <laughs> are you on the one shining moment? Um, so it's funny. Last night I, I was watching the tail end of the game because I needed to make sure that, you know, even though the game was largely kind of a blowout, you know, I, I wanted to make sure my bet was going to hit. And so I was sweating out the last few minutes of the game and uh, they wrap up the game and they go, okay, you know, we'll be back for our one shining moment. And I just thought to myself, no one wants to hear that corny song anymore. <laughs> that's the thing about the song. And like, so I kind of really, turned it off. <laughs> it really, like when you sit, that's the one thing that like, a lot, like I watched it this morning and the highlights are always cool, but it really just does sound like such a corny song, like dripping, you know, like the way the music is. Right. And so, and the, you know, like this, you know, I, I don't know if that's still the Luther Vandross version or what that is, but it does sound very corny to me. So the combination of the corniness and Yukon relatively just blowing them out, I was like, I don't want to, you know, I don't have any interest in this. But like if it was a close game and they were showing like the clutch shots and the back and forth and one shining moment was going like I wouldn't mind. But like it's just too corny of a song for a game that relatively had not a lot of action. So here's the nuts and bolts of this story about this guy. David Barrett is the guy who wrote it. And it, this was just – someone wrote an article about it, you know, in the last couple of days. I'm sure someone writes some version of this story every year. He was a struggling folk singer. He finished a show in 1986. He was in East, East Lansing, Michigan. He's sitting in a place called the Varsity Inn. And he's watching the Celtics on TV. And – this woman, she was a waitress. He says she was the most beautiful waitress that he's ever seen, sits behind him in this bar. And he says she was so good looking, it's the kind of girl that you don't even think about talking to. So he tries, though. He tries to wax a little poetic about Larry Bird, you know, like, oh, that's going to turn the girls on. But, you know, like when he turns around, she's gone. So he leaves the bar. He's got this medley in his head. And the next day, he sits down with this girl in mind. He basically mansplains the greatness of Larry Bird <laughs> and, the, and playing basketball in the zone in this song. And that's kind of where the whole thing was derived from. He writes it in 20 minutes. And apparently, they weren't even going to use it for the Final Four originally. They were going to use it after a Super Bowl, but they decided not to. And so then the Final Four got it, The you know, like a few months later. And uh, so now this guy who wrote the song in 1986, 
he gets about 50,000 bucks in rights fees every year from CBS for this. It's I like, could do a lot with 50K a year. That's a nice little retirement plan. 50 grand a year. I mean, yeah, know? that's that's a solid salary every yeah. year. Yeah. That's like, uh, what's his name for the Mets? Um, Bobby Bonilla. Bobby Bonilla. Every July 1st. That's Bobby right. Bonilla Day, baby. Every July 1st. <laughs> yep. Yep. All right. Uh, Joe wants to know Diana, Rebecca. I got to go, Rebecca. Diane just with with all of her pretentiousness just just annoyed the <laughs> heck out of me. I think you know, blondes and all that stuff. Uh, and I was I was a Martin fan back in the day as well, Michael. We used to watch. That was another like back uh, in the old Lawrence, Kansas days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think Mike was was talking about uh his his fort riley last week but yeah that was uh martin martin was big martin that was that was a good show you have to look those up see if they've got them on youtube sometime jess okay i could get it martin lawrence did you ever see bad boys with will smith yeah of course i know who martin lawrence, martin is. lawrence. okay all right i just finished entourage for the third time last night and got sad so <laughs> It's funny how Entourage makes you cry. That's just amazing. It's so sad. I forgot how just like it ultimately comes to an end. And I'll probably watch it again two or three years from now and go through the entire eight seasons again. I, I think, but I was telling you, I don't think I ever saw the movie. So I need to find uh, where I can watch the movie now um, and, and fully kind of do my Entourage due diligence because um it's it's fresh on the mind right like I, I watched all eight seasons i need to watch the movie relatively soon and not put it off amongst other things like my taxes and renewing my driver's license and you know it all was, that good stuff it was on one of the pay channels here recently i'll have to look and see i, I was curious if like maybe hbo anywhere. has it since they have all the seasons but uh, yeah I, I somewhere has to have it yeah i'll have to look i'll i'll, I'll see if they've got it on hbo or or something like that. Maybe we can find it for you. We'll see if we can get it done. All right. Well, that's going to do it for tonight. Again, no show tomorrow. Um, happy All anniversary to Brian and Angela. That's right. We're off to see the boss in Cleveland. We will be back on Thursday. So we will talk to you then. Jesse, I will see you tomorrow. Everybody else, we will see you in a couple of days. Have a good day off tomorrow. Or just watch Brian in the afternoon. Ivy Nation Sports Talk. Ciao.